This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, patrons who support us over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow, and listeners like you that use the Amazon and DM'd Guild affiliate links. Hi, I'm Ed Greenwood, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tomos, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 278, we're going all over the place with our digital selves to talk about a bunch of PDF products. And joining us for this episode is our returning champion, Jonathan Green. Welcome back, sir. Hey, good to be back. All right. So, we're talking PDFs today. Uh, Each of us has picked a handful of digital books to examine, and we're going to give our mini-reviews of each, while the others get to grill the reviewer. Did I really agree to that? (laughs) Haha, whether you did or not! (laughs) (laughs) So the book I'm going to be looking at is Dragon Drop Adventures. That's dragon like like the the creature. Yes. Okay. It's a play on words. the pun. Yeah, I'm going to be reviewing um, All Things Through Bright Flames by Ed Greenwood, uh, It Builds Character by Christopher Hoffman, and a, a Guide to Out of the Abyss by Sean McGovern. Uh, and I'll be picking up A Guide to Storm King's Thunder, also by Sean McGovern, uh, Adventurous Archetypes by Tam Elliott, and The Complete Adventures of M.T. Black, uh, Season 1. Uh, before we dive into those, though, It's time to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print products but carries the latest and greatest as well. My pick for this episode is the Adventures in Middle-Earth Player's Guide. It's a 5th edition set of player options for folks who want to play D&D in Middle-Earth. We published a review of this a while back featuring uh, Jeff Wynn and some of the folks who more regularly appear on Appendix N. uh, so if you wanted to know more about that, you should go check out that review. We also have one in the works for the Lower Master's Guide. Uh, so check that out and make sure if you go over there and start shopping at Noble Knight, you let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, I normally devour Noble Knights. But right now, I do have one Noble Knight I love. That's NobleNight.com. NobleNight.com is so awesome, and it's tasty. I get all my gaming products there, new and out of print, and I can sell my products when I'm not using them. Now, I need to go capture some villagers and sit on a pile of treasure. Thanks. All right, first things first, all for full disclosures all around, who is working from review copies? I am. So so Tracy has a review copy of Dragon Drop Adventures, and uh, Jonathan, you and I bought all of our stuff, huh? Uh, yeah, I shelled off the money for it. There you go. Uh, although one of, was your um, guide to Storm King's Thunder, uh, pay what you want? I think that I think those guides are. Uh, yeah, it was. Want, yeah. I think I uh, I sent him a dollar, but uh, yeah. it was pay what you want. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So there we go. Uh, so we will start then. We're going to mix it up so you don't just hear one person talk about three different products all in a row. It'll be uh, – we'll get three from from myself and Jonathan. We'll get Tracy's in the middle since she only has sort of one bigger one. And then we'll get uh, three more to, to finish it off. And we're going to start with Jonathan, Jonathan talking about adventurous archetypes. So tell us about this product. Uh, right. So this one is uh, – was actually one of the earlier DM Scale products. Uh, this is by Tam Elliott. And basically what it is, is for each of the main classes in the player's handbook, there's a new archetype for that class. Uh, so just one for each of them. Um, it's overall you know, a 10-page document, nothing uh, nothing too fancy, not a ton of you know big art builds, not a lot of fluff. It's just right, here's what you get, go for it. Mm. And, and um, what do we think about those archetypes? Uh, so it is, it's a mixed batch. When I first uh, loaded this up and started reading it, so it goes in alphabetical order, just like the player's handbook. And I read the uh, the Barbarian Path and the Bard Path, and I was kind of like, eh, I'm not crazy about these. But then as I went on, I'm like, actually, oh, hang on. This one's pretty good, or this one's not too bad. So it it's a real mix depending on uh, depending on what you want. Um, the biggest thing that I think some of these struggle with, or at least, not, so, okay, first off, none of them are bad. None of them, I think, are crazy unbalanced. I think they would work in any game. You're not going to just, you know, ruin someone's day or feel like you're way underpowered if you choose any of these. They, they all seem fairly well balanced. Um, some of them, though, so for example, the barbarian one, it's the path of the wildfire, and as part of that, you just get some fire abilities. Like your your hands kind of become on fire, and you can wrestle with people, and then you get to punch them and do extra fire damage, and you get resistance to fire. It's like okay, mechanically, it's fine, no problem. You, you know, eventually start shining lights, some weird stuff like that. But just from, like, what is this supposed to be? Is this an archetype that we're supposed to recognize? Like, yes, the raging barbarian who's on fire? Oh, okay. Um, so so as, as an archetype, it doesn't sort of evoke anything that, that is archetypical to you. Yeah, very much. Um, and so, and that was, so unfortunately, that is the very first one. So that kind of set my expectations very low. But it did mostly go up from there. Um, the bard one is, is the College of Beasts. And at first, because of, I think, a little you know, piece of clip art that's in the corner, I was thinking, this is going to be a Pied Piper class, and I was super excited about it, and that is not the case. Um, basically, it's just you get an animal companion, and they can do some uh, like they can do some of your performance checks with you, and they can do some things for you, uh, share spells between you. So if you're like, right, I really, really want a dancing monkey as part of my bard performance, great. This, that's the class for you. Go for it. Oh, okay. Um so those two kind of started off, and they're not they're not the best. And from there, it really starts going up. Uh, the cleric is uh, has a new domain for the god of the hunt, um, and it is some uh, some abilities that you usually see with uh, with the ranger, and some mm-hmm. abilities to uh, to track people down, to uh, to stalk them down, to scare your prey away. And you're like, right, this feels like yes, if you worship the god of the hunt, these are the kind of abilities that you would have. Um, and it fills a natural gap in, that sort of exists in the in the domains, right? That's always the trick yeah, so, for me is is are you are you creating a new domain just for the sake of a new domain, or does this actually fill a gap in the in what's there? Yeah, so like it takes you know little bits of uh, what you'd normally see in the nature domain, which is great. Like that's a great domain; it does what it needs to do. But that's you know that's a god of I mean of all nature. That's not a I worship. Um, oh, what's the god that like the elven deity that does the great hunt? Um, that might be cool. That's, I mean, so I know, like, you know, in, you know, in mythology, that is the thing. Or, or Artemis. There yeah. we go. Like, let's say you worship Artemis and you worship the god of the hunt. I mean, war's not quite right. Nature's not quite right. This hits this nice middle ground mm-hmm. where, where historically you do have some deities. 
And um, like I said, there's nothing just like, wow, this is the coolest ability ever. I love it. But it, it does what you need it to do. Um, the druid gets the circle of the harvest. And it is very much of like, things are born, things die. You're there for the latter part. Um, hmm. So lots of abilities like... Um, so you do lots of lots of things that will give you uh, extra necrotic damage. Some of the um, some of the extra spells you get are things like gentle pose or vampiric touch or blight or death ward. Um, just you're a scary reaper and you show up with a scythe and uh, eventually at higher levels you, you can even spend some of your um, some of your wild shape abilities to become. I mean, basically the grim reaper, and it's so, terrifying. So it's, it's kind of necromancer meets druid. Yes, but like, I mean, obviously, like not raising dead, anything like right. that. It's just you know, some people, it's just time for them to die. Like all life withers away, and this is where you come in. It's still part of the natural cycle. Have fun, buddy. Hmm. Um, and that's actually one that I really like. The aspect of the Reaper um, that you get at tenth level, I think. Uh, yeah, it's mechanically, it's it's terrifying. It's like, oh, death is coming for you. Like it, it, this is this is not something you can just run away from forever. <laughs> it is coming for you, and it's going to kill you. Um, and so I think some players could have a really fun time with that. It's it's that um, it's one of those classes that tends kind of towards evil, but doesn't quite cross enough that you can still have it in a reasonable, normal party without everyone saying, "Oh God, what's happened to our druid?" Um, and then yeah, the very high high level things. It's one of those when you. I mean, it's the uh, the idea that when you actually you start to die the life energy that you've built up explodes out. And again, there's a lot of life and death stuff. It's, it's fun. I don't want to spoil it and gear everything away, but it's worth taking a look at. Um, if you're a fighter, then you get a new, uh, you get a new archetype that lets you basically become a dragon. Like, like, you know what? I like dragonborns. I don't want to play one, but you know, eventually getting breath weapons and wings and scales. That's kind of cool. <laughs> then yeah, this is for you. So if you want to be a fighter, human, but also get a little bit of the Dragonbornness in you. That's kind of where this comes in. I, and there's actually a side note that says, look, if you're going to be a Dragonborn, this might not be the best one because there's a lot of, there's a lot of double tipping here. Hmm. Um, the Monk is about changing tides and waters, and it was kinda, it's someone just watched way too much of Last Airbender, but just focused on the Water Tribe. So it's, so it's a waterbending uh, Monk. Yeah, and okay. that's about it. I, I don't think it even does all the things that the existing elemental adept does well. So that one was kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, the paladin is the oath of liberty, and it's very much the generic freedom paladin that we've seen in three point five, and I think in one of the recent unearthed arcanas. Um, again, nothing, nothing bad, but nothing amazing. But you know, mm-hmm. you have like an aura of liberty, and um, you know, misty step, and freedom of movement, those kinds of things. Uh, the last, the last few for the um, mainly for the casters. Oh, sorry. So there's a storm chaser ranger, which I didn't think I wanted because all I could think about was twister and like right. So you're gonna drive around in a van and chase storms, <laughs> but the actual abilities itself are lots like right. No, there's there's power in a storm. Both you know you've got like those freezing blizzards of the north. You've got these big thunderous lightning storms, and it's actually kind of cool. Like that was one I was like, right, this is gonna be dumb, but you know some of us are basically like, yeah, you can do a little bit of extra lightning or cold damage. But some of it's like, right, you are so in tune with, with the storm and with nature, in this big raging hurricane, around you, there's perfect stillness. Or like, or raging, raging storm and rain. Like You are this walking like eye of the hurricane, where everything around you is going crazy, 
but you are that in touch with nature. It's just this nice still area around you, and it's it's kind of fun. Um, and then later you're like, right, and now everything nearby me is just soaking wet, and there's a downpour. Um, it's a, it's an aspect of the ranger and nature that you don't see very often. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, and uh, the type of thing that if someone else is playing like a storm sorcerer, like the two the two characters like there's a little bit of overlap, but I think you could have a lot of fun. Like we are, you know, we are the sons of thunder. Yeah, We're going to go gel together in. pretty well. Yeah, in a nice way. Um, the rogue gets an ability that's kind of a combination warlock rogue. You get some invocations and you make a pact. Um, so in the same way as kind of the arcane trickster, but instead of wizard, it's warlocky stuff. Uh, the sorcerer gets a succubus bloodline, which uh, I, I think that's an option in Pathfinder right now. I don't I don't know well enough. They had a lot of different like, sorcery bloodlines there, but this one is um, you get some you get some resistance. You're very you're very charming, and eventually you can start spending your sorcery points to uh, do a life draining kiss on people, kind of hailing back to your succubus ans- mm-hmm. or incubus ancestry. And um, so you can you, you charm people, you suck away some of their uh, some of their life, and you know it's fun. Your 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 mom or dad was super attractive and got busy with some human, and now you have weird powers. It's cool. Um, and you know giant bat wings at high level. Um, so nothing amazing, but just kind of a fun fun ability. And at very high levels, you start enthralling and dominating minds. So what you would expect if you had sucking this bloodline in you. Um, and then the last one is the uh, the warlock gets you have a patron who is a ghost, and actually this one I I felt was very different than any of the other warlock patrons that you currently have, um, a very different feel from even Fey or the old ones. Um, lots of abilities that have to do with uh, with possession, like the um, like that's the highest level ability is your ghost patron will go and will possess somebody for you and like redirect their attacks and mess with them to let you do other things or you can or he'll pull you into the ethereal plane and kind of pull you out of harm for a little while before you know put you know jutting you back in um and it was just a very different take from what i'd seen on some of the other warlock uh packs and especially if you tie that in with um like you know this is an ancestral ghost this is the ghost of a, you know a great wizard you know forever and ever ago and i've got his special amulet or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know there's lots of fun ways you could tie this in and I hadn't seen anything else that had to do with a ghost patron, and I felt that this did it really well in a way that was very evocative. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide has the, the what is it, the Pact of the Undying, which I suppose could be a ghost. It's just some sort of, you know, undying, undead Yeah, I'd always read that as a, uh, as a lich or a vampire type. I've but, always, um, yeah, I yeah, kind of envisioned it that way, but I, it could be a ghost, you know? Yeah. So, um, also, so this is very specifically a ghost who does ghosty things. Yeah. Tracy, kind of reminds me... It kind of reminds me of Brimstone Angels, too, maybe. Uh, I've only read the first one or two of those. Which part of Brimstone Angels? Uh, well, well yeah. I guess it's... Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> so. Spoiler alert! Okay. Um, do you mind? Is it okay Oh, no, go ahead. It? Go for it. Uh, uh, Briseis Kikistas? Mm-hmm. The Brimstone Angel it acts kind of as a ghost for a while and can... Uh, basically, uh, oh. take over people. Mm-hmm. I think I read like they were teasing. They were teasing her because that was like one of the originals or whatever. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. 
yeah, so, so she could, so she's around to kind of haunt them. something like this. Yeah, yeah and then she's not totally a, she's not like she's not the patron, but you could totally see her being you know somebody's patron in the way that she that she runs around. So yeah. So. Um. Anyway, so overall, oh, I'm um, sorry. There's a wizard one that has basically it's a school of biomancy, and they get some druidy type stuff. Oh, okay. Not nothing amazing. Just like oh, okay, that yeah, that works. You get some you get some really cool familiars like. Whatever familiar you get, you get the giant version of it. So instead of a rat, you get a giant rat. And then you get some things like Shillelagh. And, um, yeah. Okay. So overall, it's a very mixed bag. Some of them are great. Some of them are very and interesting. Other ones are just kind of... Um, so outside of, it, outside of general sort of interest in terms of the story and what have you, uh, how did you find like the mechanics and the balance? Because that's always a trick for me with, yeah. uh, with products on DMs Guild is sometimes DMs will just go crazy and it'll be end up being... Like, yeah, people love it because it's way overpowered, you know? Nothing that was crazy. There's a few things that, so I, I almost exclusively DM that I would go, hmm. Uh, with the wrong player, I could see them finding a way to abuse that. Mm-hmm. But 90% of the time, I don't think any anything in here is a problem. A couple of them might be a little bit underpowered compared to some of the more optimal builds that you can okay. get from the player's handbook or, or, um, or uh, uh, Sword Coast. But uh, nothing that spiked out on either one end or the other i think mm-hmm. i felt like all of these were fairly well balanced okay yeah and that's i mean i would rather a, a product lean a little bit or you know, you know or a homebrewed thing or whatever lean a little bit more towards underpowered um and if it's evoking the the flavor that you want then you're not in it for the power anyway and and you know i want you to be able to keep up but i'd rather err on the side of caution you know yeah, as a GM, if any of my players came and brought one of these to me, I would be okay with allowing it in my game. Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's written clearly, like everything you know mechanically makes yeah. sense and, and is yeah. There, there's the a few format. little bits like um like right, you forgot to specify exactly which level you get this ability, but if mm-hmm. you look back at the base class, it's pretty obvious where it should come in. It's like minor things like that, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's laid out just like every other archetype that you would read in the in the player's handbook. Even the layout is. Um, I don't. I don't know what site site it was that everyone uses for this, where it like, makes the layout exactly look like a player's handbook, mm. even including at the sidebars and everything. So it's presented very clearly, very easy to read. Um, and you, you said but, it was one of the earlier ones. Yeah, I. I uh, so this was. I want to say this was in the first. Um, I bought this originally this past summer, so okay. it's been out for at least eight nine months at this yeah. point. And you think it, it holds up pretty... So one of the things I, I always kind of worry about with the earlier stuff uh, is that they didn't have many other examples to look at other than... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so mostly does some of them... I think the Paladin one is a little bit... Uh, like, I think that's been better, better covered in some of the Darkana stuff that's come mm-hmm. since here. Um, and like I said, the uh, the Warlock Patron... You know, so before this came out, there wasn't an undead Warlock Patron. Sure. So this one is interesting because it's very specific. But in theory, you could get the same thing with the one from Strong King, uh, from uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Okay. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts or last questions, Trace? I'm good. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and, and mix things up already. I, I have a pre-arranged list of what we were going to talk about in what order, but I'm going to change it up right now because um, one of my products actually is very similar in in format and, and theme to what you just discussed. So in order to stick with that same theme of options for players, I'm going to go ahead and talk about It uh, It Builds Character uh, by Christopher Hoffman. And it runs uh, on, and I found it on DMs Guild. In fact, 
I tried. I opened up the options for our reviewers to to look, you know, various places for PDFs instead of just sticking to DMs Guild this time. Uh, and I had a heck of a time finding anything that I re- re- was really interested in looking at, except on DMs Guild. It's just so much easier to find, you know, D and D stuff um, of an edition that I'm that I'm going to get something out of uh, quickly and easily. So I ended up finding all my stuff on DMs Guild, and I don't know if that ended up being the case for uh, for you, Jonathan. Some of it was a mix of stuff that I kind of wanted to read anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for for all the empty black adventures, I had heard an interview with him over on uh, Tabletop Babble with mm-hmm. uh, with James and Jacasto. He had talked to the author, so I think like, right, I'll give that a shot. There you go. Um, and then the last one, I just like, um, sure, let's just take a wild chance. But you got them on DMs Guild as well. Every, yeah, everything on DMs Guild. Yeah. So, and I know Tracy got a review copy, so she did not get hers on DMs Guild. <laughs> Uh, so it builds character uh, character options for a fifth edition, uh, and it runs eight dollars on DMs Guild, which which is not un- an unreasonable price for a product that comes in at forty two pages. Um, you know, uh, but it runs a little it, that runs a little higher than what you mostly see on DMs Guild. Is that fair to say? Eight dollars. Uh... Yeah, for for character options, that's a bit much compared to what I've seen for other things. So, but it, it has a lot of stuff in here. So the, it has a whole slew of races. Uh, it has new builds for every class. Uh, in fact, it has multiple builds for almost all the classes, uh, and it has a handful of feats on the last few pages at the end. Um, and, and some of these things I think came off really well, and some of them. Um, I think have balance issues, um, and I'm not. And, and then feats are tricky for me because I'm not quite sure. Like I don't feel real solid yet on what's overpowered and what's not overpowered in feats because feats in fifth edition are at kind of at a different place than where feats used to be, right? In terms of what they can do and all that, um, the races are the area where I think there's. I think there's a fundamental, like, this doesn't follow the format of how races have been designed in the past. Like, the, the author is going off and, and designing races in a way that they feel they should be, but it doesn't really match up with the, um, the, the way races generally work. Particularly, uh, I find issues with the ability score adjustments. Uh, there's kind of a standard that ability score adjustments in races uh, equal a total of, what, plus two? So right? usually there's one that there's one that's plus two and there's one that's plus one. Yeah, so a plus three total, uh, and yeah. so and so some of these don't follow that format. Um, so for example, the first race op- option is uh, the bugbear, which we have since gotten on Volo's guide as well, right? But they uh, they listed a uh, bugbear's strength as plus four and their con as plus two. But then they also get a charisma and a wisdom of minus two, and minuses on racial uh, on races is not a thing that they've done in fifth edition. Um, uh, yeah, with the exception of kobolds, yeah. Yeah, well, and the, kobold is one of the options in here as well. So we have bugbear, centaurs, gnolls, um, a, a, a sort of undead thing that they created called a husk. Kobolds, then, uh, Pangoli, which are like anthropomorphic animal creatures or people, and Ratlings uh, are the, the races. Um, uh, 
And and I tend to find like all of them feel like they're better than everything in the player's handbook. And if that's the case, that 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 worries me in terms of balance. So if one of my players came to me and wanted to play one of these races, I, I would I wouldn't say no, but I would maybe want to take a close look at it and see if it needs to be tweaked or adjusted. Uh, but each of them has, you know, not only the, the traits, but it has some, you know, the nice background text with the descriptions, just like the in the, you know, player's handbook. Uh, and each one of them also comes with a racial feat, um, which you don't see a lot of in 5th edition. It's kind of, I, it's something I've always enjoyed in previous editions, the, the idea that certain feats are only available to certain races and it helps you sort of uh, distinguish that race and, and make you, you know, feel more unique in that way. Um, so I, I enjoy. I actually enjoy the idea of racial feats, even if it's not fitting the standard. Uh, the the class options, though, I found to be um, there's a lot more there that like hooked me, right? Uh, and while there's little mechanical things, like you kind of mentioned, Jonathan, and the one that you looked at, uh, little areas where it's like this probably needs to be specified more or this rule is not quite clear or you're referencing a thing that's not actually a word uh, that's used in the rules you know uh, little things like that for the most part i found the ideas to be interesting uh and what have you so so the class options i would totally um take a look at right so we have uh for barbarian we have the ape totem so you know you're running and i don't know that that's super archetypical but it's kind of cool the idea of a barbarian running around ape-like uh, and for each of these uh, barbarian things, you only had to add, change like what three or four features, so they're not extensive, because otherwise it's just normal barbarian sort of stuff. Uh, the path of the bone rattler, which uh, collects bones from from the fallen, and and in the process of doing so, like builds this armor uh, of of bones that they wear, uh, and and they sort of fuse with this concept of death and gain like um, um, necrotic based abilities. Uh, the, the Praetor, which is sort of your, um, they actually have an ability called blade singer. It's kind of your, your dancing whirling dervish barbarian type. Uh, you've got your, your bardic colleges. I particularly liked the college of fortune, uh, which, which got some cool things. So um, these are what does it say, talk about? It talks about these are the the, boor, the bards uh, who scour the earth for riches, fame, and fortune. Right? These are the the peop, the, the bards who just want to be famous. Um, but they've got some cool stuff going on with them. Uh, you know the the premonit- They've got this because they're fortune based, right? They've got this premonition ability. Uh, you gain advantage. Uh, against effects that you can see or hear, such as traps or spells. If you're blinded or deafened or incapacitated, you can't use it. So you can you can use this ability, and, and it gives you sort of an edge. You you suddenly have a premonition of, of danger that's going to happen, and you get an advantage on, on that save or what have you. I thought that was cool. Um, then there's another one, College of Lament. The Clerical Domains, we have Luck, which has been, which is fairly common at this point, like Luck and Travel. Um, all of those are pretty... Standard new domains to see. Uh, the Infernal Rector, though, I thought was interesting. It's your uh, it's your cleric of you know the, of the they're not they're they're kind of your your horrible evil infernal cultist. Um, oh, sorry, Infernal Rector. Rector, yes. Huh. Okay. Uh, 
And it's it's one that I actually drew a little star on the PDF. I use an app where I can draw on it. So I drew a little star on it because I, I thought it was particularly interesting. Um, and, and part of the idea is is it's almost you're your faking being a cleric and you have you're, you're just clerical enough to sort of make yourself appear to be a cleric, but all along you're actually this sort of evil infernal cultist type of person, which I thought was cool. Um, they even by 17th level they get the divine spell thief ability where they can uh, steal the magical knowledge of divine spells from other spellcasters to make themselves seem more normal clericy. Uh, the druid has a couple of new uh, archetypes: the circle of the consort, um, where you just have a really—it's kind of your beastmaster answer to uh, the druid, right? You don't just summon animals around, but you have the one animal who's like your good best friend. Um, the the circle of the legion, which the circle of the legion is weird to me. It 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 uh, there was a build, and I think it was fourth edition druids. That allowed you to like shape change into swarms. Does anybody remember that? Yes, yeah, swarm druid in fourth edition. Yeah, that was that was a fun fun ability. If I remember right, yeah. I don't know if I ever played one, but I was read about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a player who played who played one uh, a few times, and so so it's kind of playing off of that idea. It's it's the idea that you're turning into swarms, and and there's some maybe some balance issues here, uh, and because like for example, it talks about. Um, how at second level your wild shape class feature no longer allows you to transform into a beast. Instead, you can turn into any creature with the swarm quality. Any creature with the swarm quality could be a lot of weird things. It don't, doesn't make sense for druids to, to turn into, right? I mean, um, in, the, in the Tome of Beasts, for example, there is a swarm of clockwork beetles. Well, it doesn't make sense for a druid to turn into a swarm of little robots, does it? But it has the swarm quality, so as written, I, you know, it could turn into that. I think if I were if I were to run it, I would tweak some of is, that. That's, is there a level cap or anything on that? Um, it I think it follows the same restrictions as Wild Shape. Okay, cool. So I don't have to worry about a player. Like once I run a swarm of beholders at a player, they're not just like ah ha ha. Right. It's a swarm. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Okay. And it's got it's got you know. I, sort of uh, iconic swarmy sort of uh, you know creature defenses like you know you you hit it and it just bursts into a swarm of insects or whatever and, and reforms and and you keep fighting it can actually as it gets higher level you can it can turn into swarms and then split off into multiple swarms and still have this sort of hive mind so they can control all of them um you know uh the circle of the the verdant gale is the next one um it's a it's a what is it? it's a it's a uh trying to remember it's been a while so it's the it's the servant servant of life sort of uh plant life planty sort of uh druid right uh the antagonist fighter the black knight fighter and the samurai fighter are the fighter options um that all seem to come off pretty well for me the monk it has the way of the beast where it's just here's a list of a bunch of different sort of beast styles that you can emulate. So if you want to do, you know, the crane pose or whatever or the, you know, the praying mantis or whatever, you can sort of emulate some of that. The way of the iron shirt, the way of the wuxia. So they're, they're drawing in some of the more um, the, the East Asian sort of uh, vibe on some of these. The paladin has the oath of the hallowed Templar, the oath of malice. Uh, and the oath of this of searing flame, 
so I mean, all of these come together pretty well, and, and I don't want to give short shrift to any of the of the archetypes. But you've got a good two or three different uh, options for each of them, um, and, and they they come off fairly. Most of them come off fairly evocative. Um, they we do end up ironically. I thought of this when you were talking, Jonathan. Uh, we have a sorcerer's bloodline for succubus incubus. Which is exactly what you had mentioned in uh, in your product as well. <laughs> that allows you to you know by 18th level enthrall a creature and, and do all those sorts of things that that you had mentioned too. The kiss of the succubus at sixth level. Um, uh, yeah, so, actually, that sounds almost exactly the same. Right. Yeah. Uh, the warlock archetypes give you uh, elder dragon as a as an uh, otherly being. Uh, ghostly being is in here as well. Hmm. Uh, as well as the illuminated being, uh, so so there's just a lot of things here. Uh, the arcane desecrator, um, you know, uh, those kinds of things for um, for the wizard. And then there's just like two pages of feats, uh, and the feats are interesting to me. Some of them, like the the armor of the elements. As long as you're wearing armor, you pick an element. Uh, you know, when you take the feat, you pick an element, and you just have resistance to that element whenever you're wearing armor, uh, and you can give an enemy vulnerability to that element for a turn. Um, that's maybe um, a bit that, powerful for a feat. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you give someone, like, is it like as a bonus action, you just say, right, now you've got vulnerability? Uh, so let me f- find it here. You may use your reaction to give your attacker vulnerability uh, to your chosen oh. element till the end of your next turn. when they attack Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. And, like, um, I, I can't imagine a... Yeah, a caster who, who if they could wear armor, that why they wouldn't take that. Right. So, so there's certainly some some things there that I would tweak. There's some things that I wasn't too super fond of the races, uh, but the classes came out interesting and evocative. It was a long product. I mean, again, uh, forty two pages. Um, the artwork I, I was interested. Like uh, the layout is is fine. There's some little rules. Foibles here or there. Um, I don't know. Eight dollars might be a little bit high for it, but if you're interested in some of these class builds or you want a whole bunch of new class options, it's it's got a lot of those. Uh, just you know, check with your DM before you before you start to use them. But there's some there's some flavor in there that I thought was really fun and really cool, even if I didn't love the races. Um, so there you go. Questions on that one? I had a quick question, and it's also for the, I think for all of them. Um, because you talked about the graphics and stuff, like mm-hmm. print-wise, is there a way to do like print that is simplified? Because I know that's often a question people ask. Mm, I don't remember seeing a simplified print. Uh, you're so so people can print, like actually print the product and have paper versions. Yeah, I, I've seen that on some products. I it wasn't on any of mine. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it on any of mine. I mean, it could yeah, have been there. I just don't remember. And I don't think it was I, the version I got was the graphic rich one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was interested. Uh, I was actually kind of impressed because uh, a lot of third edition, uh, third party products on DMs Guild don't have a lot of art, and when they do, it's very clip arty sort of stuff. And this one's like they've got some actual like interesting art going on here, and wow, how'd they get that and whatever. And then as I got about halfway through, I'm like, wait a minute, this is an art. You're taking pictures of miniatures that you've painted and putting a filter on it to make it look like it's a, it look, look, look like it's painted. Um, and so that's where their art is. Is they they have a bunch of painted miniatures that kind of match up what's going on, and they just sort of took pictures and, and faded the edges and, and put a filter on it so it looked like it was a painted image. 
Well, now I'm just really jealous about how much better they are at painting minis. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a clever way of getting some art yeah. in, even if you're not an artist. Uh, you know, there was one one that wasn't like that. There was the drawing of the husk. So I think it's something that they probably have used in their campaign or whatever. Um, but yeah, so there we go. Um, a lot of what you were saying with uh, just kind of how the uh, how the races were done and with some of the classes, it sounded like a lot of this had to do was a kind of reskinning or saying right, let's look at old stuff that was in three five or even four mm. e. And just trying to make a fifth edition version. Did mm-hmm. it feel like that, or was that just me misunderstanding? No, there were certainly elements of that where I'm like, oh, they're. Just, and I don't know if they're, if I would say they were straight up converting. Uh, certainly, the way that that the races felt to me uh, in terms of their mechanical builds, um, it felt like they were they were designing in the style of older editions more than they were designing in the style of 5th edition, if that makes sense. I don't know if it was a conversion, but it felt like a more of that style. Um, in terms of the, the class builds, though, I don't know that I would say that it felt like a conversion. It felt, like, it felt to me more like um, inspiration. Like I don't know that I felt like the, the Swarm Druid version in here um, was just trying to recreate the swarm druid so much as it was inspired by hey this was kind of a cool thing in fourth edition let's see if i can do this for fifth um does that make sense yeah it does okay so yeah man we're going long on these these reviews there's supposed to be many we'll have to we'll have to start speeding it up otherwise this is going to be a two-hour episode (laughs) so all right so although we've had some big products so far so jonathan you're next Tell us about Storm. Right. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Tell us about uh, Complete Adventures. Right. So uh, this is a group of, I believe, ten adventures that MT Black has has done. Um, so uh, so you can buy all of them individually, or he just put them all in a nice bundle for um, comparatively a very good price. Uh, these are all for low levels. Uh, there's some for level one, some for level two. I think the highest I saw was level four. Uh, I'm, I did not read all ten. I read about five or six of them, and I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, so these adventures, so they're well laid out. They're easy to follow. Um, I, I wasn't thoroughly impressed by any of them. Like it was always like, right, okay, yeah, oh, this is that kind of adventure. Okay, got it. Mm. Um, like if you just kind of think, what's a very generic, plain old D and D adventure that you would just kind of see somewhere? It's it's these ones. They they all started at an inn. They're all a little bit railroady. Um, I mean, this is just the, like, it's the peanut butter and jelly of D&D adventures. Like, they're not bad, but you're just like, okay, oh, that's what it is. Got it. So you've just got this um, collection of, of standard adventures to sort of throw in as you need them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, there's, um, so on average, there's one, maybe two really kind of good things per adventure. Like, okay, yes, I could steal that. That's that's kind of fun. Mm. Um, but for the, for the most part, it's just like, oh, I, I've read the same kind of thing in, old third edition adventures and old mm. fourth edition adventures and in organized play stuff a, a dozen times over. Um, like the, none of them are bad. Like, I don't want to say like I'm really coming down on it. And if this is one of those like crap, I just need a lot of adventures that I can quickly pick up and run with five minutes prep. These are great for that. Um, the only one that I was straight up really just disappointed with was one that was called uh, little shrine of horrors. Um, which does, I was does really it have a right giant now. talking plant? That's what I wanted. That's Ugh. what I was really hoping for. I was so excited about this. Um, but it turns out it was just kind of a, a small version of the Tomb of Horrors. And um, I, I, oh, I was so disappointed by this one just because I, I love Death Trap Dungeons. They're very easy to do terribly. And they're very hard to do well. 
and I've gotten to see some really great ones that have been done in the past. And this is just one of those like, okay, yeah, this is like it's it's traps from things like uh, like Grimtooth, which are the worst traps ever. And it's just mm. lots of like, do you make this? Do you pass this like knowledge religion check? If so, then yes, you know the solution to this. If not, meh. okay, you're gonna take two d six damage now. Um, like all all the worst things about like dungeon like grindy dungeon crawl stuff. That was an attempt to be an homage to Tomb of Horrors, but just doesn't have the same kind of charm and appeal. And there was no giant plant monster, which is probably my biggest hmm. my biggest beef with it. That being said, all like overall, the names for these are great. Like it's like it's very evocative. Like okay, this like he does great names, has great cover art, and then the inside just does not quite live up. Um, like I feel like give me a DMG and give me the title and the cover art, and I could I could make a better adventure with with really any of these however if it's one of those like oh i've got a game that i forgot about i need something for level four players and you know two dollars you know i actually think it averages like less than a dollar per adventure that's it might be worth the money to you okay um except they're laid out well quick easy to read like yeah i know exactly what's going on oh right this is a murder mystery and the guy didn't actually do it because a very obvious you know weird corrupting influence from the haunted house down the street. Okay, done. Next. Right on. I guess. And how many adventures were there in the in the set? Uh, let me double check. I think there were ten total. Let me make okay. sure that I've got that right. And they run about a um, dollar per adventure total. So. Uh yes, I think the whole thing was eight ninety nine for. Actually, I want to. It might be twelve adventures. My mistake. Hmm. I mean, so it has some some decent value. 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, so 15, uh, 15 oh, okay. adventures total. So that's um, like that's almost 50 cents of an adventure. So 15 adventure, uh, the price is now, at, the price is currently at $10. Okay. So, yes, yeah, 75 cents. 75 cents an adventure. That's not bad. And um, like I said, and even in all of these, even I, as I say they're bland, in all of them there's always one or two nice things like, oh, okay, I'll steal that. Like even in the even in the, the little shrine of horrors that I just maligned, there was <laughs> one puzzle in there that I'm like, oh, actually, that's good. I'm going to take that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if, you know, you spend 75 cents to get a a really good idea that could be something me- very memorable to your players, that, that, that might be, be worth it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Tracy, any questions about uh, about that one? Complete Adventures. I had a quick question. So, um, how many player characters for the level was it designed for? Um so it's it assumes four. I mean, it's okay. just like there. It doesn't give level ranges, but everything is just kind of assumed very, very default. Like a band of four to six adventures of approximately this level, go for it. So it, every it, single it, one. So, it, but yeah. it gives you levels. Yes, it does list uh, the oh, okay. level that it's recommended for. Okay, for so a second that, there, yeah, I, for a second there, I thought you were saying it doesn't give you level uh, ranges. So. No, so every adventure is like here's an introduction, kind of like yes, here these things work. Here's approximately how long it'll take to play. Here's about how many levels, mm-hmm. uh, or how many. So yeah, for four level four characters, whatever. Then a quick overview of everything, and then right. So you start out in an inn, and here's somebody who comes and talks to you, mm-hmm. and that's how they all start, like with something happening in an inn and someone hiring you. I mean, I could see I could see that being a product that could be useful to somebody, especially who's maybe new at at GMing. Uh, and, yeah. and and the trope isn't worn out, right? Uh, and so yeah. falling back on the standard, and it's a good place to sort of get him get him there, and and without having to go crazy and try all the the crazy new things that that 
you know, the old old hacks are doing because they're tired of starting in an inn or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, or if you're like, even if you're running a larger campaign and you just want a quick little break, you just take one mm-hmm. of these and you can slot these in. To, like, like it's all set in the Forgotten Realms. Like some of them are very specifically like, oh, this one is this one takes place in Tribor. However, that it could it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. So. If you just need, like, right, we're going to do a quick little side thing to get away from the big, you know, grim, dark main plot that we've got going on. Let's just kind of mm-hmm. over here, and then everything's great. And then or come as, as you've got downtime in between chapters of Storm King's Thunder or whatever, you could throw in one of yeah. these here and there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Definitely. All right, then we're going to shift over to our next review, and, and this is where Tracy gets to talk. She only has one product to look at because it was a big one, uh, so I stuck her in the middle. So, so Tracy has been doing nothing but asking questions, but now it's her turn to shine. Yay. Uh, it was probably a good thing that I only have one given that I have a cold, but yeah. uh, we'll do our best. Uh, so I reviewed, I read Dragon Drop Adventures, which was done as a Kickstarter. It's a series of, at least in the PDF, I got four adventures, uh, one for each level of one through four, and assumes four player characters. Um, mm-hmm. overall, it, it does things like it, uh, gives you the backstory for an adventure, potential ways to customize or adapt it, uh, the adventure itself, and then how to expand it afterwards. And it, it includes maps, which I thought was kind of cool. Are they, and are they decent looking maps? They're, they're kind of interesting. I think they're, they're decent, but it's a different style than I've ever seen before. It's, mm. it looks a lot like a realistic texture almost hmm. for some of the areas like there's one area that is i think in the side of a mountain and it looks like a picture of stone and they drew the map on top of it but oh, the, okay. the the map has like a hand drawn quality to it which i thought was kind of cool that's cool yeah and they include both the dm and the player map ah uh, that's awesome yeah, really handy. That's really handy. I, I mean, like especially in a digital digital it. product where you don't have to worry about page count. I, I, you know, every digital product should have that kind of thing, and oftentimes don't. Yeah, and they also include um, some artwork, usually of the main uh, big bad for the adventure. Uh, so mm-hmm. you do have a way of like presenting uh, mm-hmm. that character at least to the group. And overall, I thought they did a pretty good job of including like bits of story within these miniature adventures. Cause they're really, they're meant to be dropped into any campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's resolve. the name, right? Drag and drop. Yeah. That's the name. And like, uh, take about two to three hours as well as providing seeds for future adventure. Uh, so the fact that, it, I think they did spend a lot of time thinking about how to add story through uh, the setting, like uh, like descriptions of rooms and stuff like that. Like there's often a sense of history to the place, and there were also um, various decisions had impact. Like it wasn't just like oh you killed you killed these people or bad guys. Yay! Here's your reward. Sometimes there were ramifications, particularly if you didn't uh, think through before you just went and uh, murder hobo and everyone. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool. 
Okay. And, and and all in all, you thought the the quality and the balance and the pacing and all that worked out pretty well for these adventures. I think so. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to really go through the stats because uh, they provide also monsters and magic items. Like they have a flying mm-hmm. book and a clockwork work guardian and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go through all of the numbers on those. Um, make sure they they add up okay. And... Yeah, uh, and I did I did wonder uh, if maybe it had a few too many magic items that were like rare, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, there's a tendency, like like I said, I think there's a tendency in, in some products to, to err on the side of, of more powerful, um, whether that's a good thing right. or not. So, Very good. Yeah. Um, sorry, and you might have just said this, and I apologize if I missed it. So you, it's all these smaller, uh, smaller things, and you say they all kind of hint at larger stories. Is there one long connecting story that that takes through, takes you through all of them or is these are these just right put them wherever you want to and if you want to continue on here are some seeds for future adventures yeah th- there's no connecting story between them that i okay. could tell it was more um the, the, the latter okay so so it's a fairly self-contained story but does it include like seeds to to go out to other adventures if you wanted to build into that Definitely. Okay. And 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 sometimes those seeds are like little uh, potential things they could fight out. During, like it's not necessarily hit you in the head. This this is a potential f- future seed. It really rewards people that take time and explore or talk to people and stuff like that. Hold on. Cool. Any other questions for Tracy? Um. I mean, so I guess always kind of the tell-all question with these kind of things is, in if you were running your own campaign, do you think you would be stealing some of these? I think I would steal some of it, and I, I kind I like magic items, so uh, the fact that there were so many didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might uh, steal some of them because I think a lot of them have good story to them. Hmm. That's cool. I, I'm always a big fan of of decent magic items that have a story to them, right? Because uh, especially in 5th edition where magic items are a little more rare, I like to make them more special when I have the fourth forethought to do so. Yeah, I, I guess, the, so the one thing I would say is this uh, is about 52 pages. Uh, it says 53 total, but the last one's just the uh, disclaimer or the license. Yeah. Um, but I, I recorded, it's on drive-thru RPG, and mm-hmm. it's it's $20, so that's the only thing that gives me a slight pause. Hmm. Yeah, $20 for, for four adventures is, um, it's a little it's a little steep for the market. I'm not saying that's, I mean, I would buy a book of, I would, I, well, I recently did spend considerably more money for a book of a collection of, you know, drop-in module adventures, right? Um for what forty five dollars that Wizards of the Coast just published, um, but it's it's the the market on drive through RPG isn't usually that high for adventure. So yeah, and I do wonder if a lot of it had to do with the fact that they had their own artwork, and mm-hmm. I, I and think overall the production quality is pretty decent. Yeah, I mean uh, that, that stuff costs, right? And those people need to be fairly compensated. So yeah. 
And it was interesting looking at the history of the Kickstarter because I think they finished in January and had the PDF out in February because they they had already done a bunch of work and done mm. a, a bunch of playtesting on it. Awesome. Oh, wow. So it's just mostly just uh, paying for layout and, and art and what have you. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome, and, and people might want to check that out. And you said it's at, on uh, drive-thru. Yes. Cool. So next, uh, I'm going to talk about a guide to Out of the Abyss, and, and maybe, Jonathan, uh, we will combine our efforts because we're both doing a guide to an adventure, right? Yeah, uh, sounds ri- good. Written by the PowerScore um, um blog uh, powerscorerpg.blogspot.com is their website um and so i kind of get the and, and they're both released as pay what you want adventures um or not adventures but products uh and so i kind of got get the impression it's as much um it's as much them promoting their site as it is them selling a product did you, did you get that impression too uh, yeah and a lot of this i feel like it- <laughs> So the kind of DM, you know, that I should be that does a lot of prep and gets everything ready, um, if you're already that kind of, I'm assuming they were already that type of DM, so they just mm. sat down and really were very careful and thorough as they did all their DM prep. Mm. Like, eh, let's just let other people benefit from this if we if they want. Yeah, and that's interesting. Um, so so I, I did the one for Out of the Abyss because I actually was get, preparing and, and reading with this as I was getting ready for my own uh, game session, and we were uh, going into a section of my game that was based on an Out of the Abyss. And I'm like, oh, this will be a good chance for me to get a refresher on the place that they're heading and, and sort of go through some of that and whatever. Um, and right. and uh, I picked mine up because I'm running through Storm King's Thunder. So, so there you go. same thing. Yeah. So so it's it, it was interesting to because I came at it like I feel like the purpose, the stated purpose was here are like the campaign notes and it's a chapter by chapter breakdown of what you need to know to run this part of the story, right? And so you get each chapter and and here's what you do and here's what happens and here's some of the key things to remember and whatever. Uh, But at the same time, like it's it's not exactly just that. You know, it's one part uh, campaign notes. It's one part like a review that they're writing for their blog. uh, And it's it's one part – I don't know – it's not even advice. Um, I don't know. It, it's. I'm not sure where I'm getting use out of this product. <laughs> product honestly, um, like there's moments where uh, I'm trying to find one. I highlighted them. Um, there's moments where they're like, "Oh, this is totally going to be a thing. Um, you should check that out." Right? Um, you know the. Uh, there's one moment where where the mention they mention um, you'll probably need a cheat sheet handy to keep things moving in this section, or there's a secret door here with a really nasty trap on it. Okay, but isn't the whole point of me having the notes is that I don't have to then go back and look that up and find it? Like, if if it would be handy to have a cheat sheet, it would be awesome if that was in here, right? Okay. Uh, in that case, they might have improved a little bit between the time they did Out of the Abyss and Storm King Slender okay. because almost all of these were saying, like, right, so there's, you know, there's a monster here. It's this, like, it's this monster. It's on this page in the book. It's on this page in the monster manual. That, yeah, that, see, that's much more useful. Like, I'm, I, I'm getting yeah. a, you'll, here's a quote, uh, you'll need to cook up a bunch of random properties beforehand for this thing. Okay, but isn't didn't I just pay you to do that for me? <laughs> you know, so so I was honestly I uh, like 
it was a nice little reminder, but of what I what was going on in this in the part of the adventure that I was getting ready to run or whatever. But I felt like I could have accomplished almost as much by by opening up the actual adventure and reading through it and going through it there. So it's a little too lengthy for just straight up like quick reference campaign notes, but a little too too. It, it, but it has gaps for me to be able to really um, almost just run out of this without having to constantly reference the book or or do a lot of prep yeah, at the time. I, I would agree with that because I think so Strong King Sunder like so this guide is sixty four pages long. Mm-hmm. And that's what a third of the length of the overall book. Mm. Um so uh see so yeah, it, it runs a little bit long. The the part where so uh for me the um so this is the kind of thing where if I, if I want something like as I'm on the train home and I want to like, write, let me review before my, you know, my, as soon as I get home, my session's about to start it then. Let me quickly review something. That's what this is great for. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I've got any time to sit down with the book, then I would prefer to actually do the book. The one thing that this, that at least Strong King Thunder, the guy to Strong King Thunder did well, um, is kind of before, uh, before every, every chapter, every section, it was kind of like, right, Here's kind of like, right, here's why we're here. Here's a really cool thing. Um, here's some things just to remember before you start. And, uh, you know, so where some of the NPCs are. And one thing that I did before the entire entire adventure was like, right, here are the really important things you need to remember to foreshadow. Mm-hmm. And this was nothing that I didn't pick up in my very initial read-through of the entire adventure. However, at that point, this point, that was back in October mm-hmm. when I first started it. So me reading through all this stuff going, oh, yeah, I, did, I was going to force out of that. Right. I better hurry up and stick this in there because in about, you know, in about two levels, they're going to need that. Um, so where this is serving me now, as I as I read back through it, was reminding me of all the mental notes I made to myself four months ago without me having to go back through and reread the entire adventure. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it certainly like gave me a little bit of that, but um, I don't know. I think I feel like I could have just picked up the, you know, if I if I was able to pull out the book, uh, pull out the actual book and and get a lot of it. Now, I mean, there's some things where it summarizes. It's not. I'm not saying I didn't get any value out of it, right? There's certainly some things where where they picked up and or summarized an NPC or whatever. And it's like, oh, I didn't even remember that that was a thing about the NPC. Cool, I'll have to remember that. But um, and and I hope that what you're saying is true. It sounds like they as they've continued to do these. Uh, and I say they, it's it's uh, one guy, right? Sean McGovern, uh, mm-hmm. who wrote both of these. Uh, it sounds like he's he's developed and, and evolved his 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 system and his format. Um, so so I think I I, I I I'm getting the impression the later published ones are probably um, more useful than the early published ones while he was still sort of working it all out. So because Out of the Abyss yeah. was the second adventure path, is that right? Uh, third. Third. It, third, came, a- it uh, came after Princes? Yeah. Yeah, so it was Dragons, Princes, Abyss. Abyss, okay. Um, yeah, so the uh, the one thing this does have at the end is, bas- so for, uh, for Storm King's Thunder, it gives a suggested path, like, right, here's kind of how I'm planning my campaign to go and the path mm. that I'm planning for them to follow, which if, if you're the kind of GM who is really scared of how completely open Storm King's Thunder is, this isn't a bad thing. It's like, right, here's how you can kind of funnel the PCs to go in more specific areas. Um, I think that takes away from some of the fun of the adventure, but if you're trying to run Storm King's Thunder and you're not prepared with the 
welcome to a world where the PCs will literally go anywhere because they've got the entire map up to them, then there's some really nice nice bits in here. And it has some advice for here's kind of how you should funnel. Here's the, you know, here's the key random encounters I think that you know that should be in. Um, so yeah, there, there's some good stuff in here. Um, it runs a little bit long, but mm-hmm. if again, if I've got if I've got five minutes before my session starts and I need a quick reminder about oh crap, what happens in the castle of the crowd, cloud giants? Okay. I can read this a lot faster than I can scan through the chapter book. Yeah, probably. Uh, and then you, you can re-reference the things you need to in the book at the at the table. But it certainly doesn't replace having the book with you at the table. No, no, not at all. There's no way you could just run it off of this. I mean, yeah, go ahead, Tracy. Well, I was. Were you were you too kind of surprised that people could create a product like this and sell it? I guess I just wasn't even sure what to expect. Uh, what what to expect from it. Um, right. And and the intro explains it well. The, the, here's some like here's my detailed campaign notes basically. Um, but but I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of there's just a lot of like, um, you know, I don't even know where to begin here. It's like well, I, that's why I threw a couple bucks at you is because you could tell me where to begin here. You know, or or I'm guessing that this is gonna, gonna how this is gonna play out in this encounter. Okay, yeah. you know, it was just kind of interesting to me because I. Um back with Horde of the Dragon Queen, I had started, I didn't get very far, basically a DM playbook, which mm-hmm. isn't quite the same as this, but it was kind of like more notes of uh, things like um, whether or not the door was barricaded or if they mm-hmm. mended it or something like that. So you could keep notes like of, of what they did and like these things were probably the important things to remember. So I was just kind of surprised I, I hadn't heard of this product before. Yeah, and and they've done it for all the adventures, and there's certainly areas here where I think there's a lot of value. Like for example, um, there's the if you're familiar with Out of the Abyss, there's the section where they go into the into the labyrinth, and there's this crazy mage in, maze engine thing um, that that's doing all kinds of weird environmental things, and that's a really like complex encounter where different things are activated on different rounds. So he just this is where he where like he just broke it down, right? Round one, right. these are the crazy things that happen. Round two, these are the crazy things that happen. Round three, and it goes through fourteen rounds of this is what happens on each of these rounds that you need to be prepared for and remember to pull them out and don't forget that and whatever. Like that's the kind of stuff that if if the book was yeah. full full of that in all those different places, it would have been great. So so yeah, okay. no, I, I guess I didn't I mean I guess I I wasn't surprised that a, a product like this exists. Um, I would have been surprised a year ago, before or whatever, before we before DMs Guild was really a thing, right? Um, yeah. But at this, it's point, kind of interesting how uh, the types of products that DMs Guild opens up. It's not mm-hmm. just the the typical stuff that we saw in Drive Through RPG, just with. Mm-hmm. Uh, more 5e stuff it's you know you could you could do stuff like this or or yeah. produce a uh index with every listing like listing out every time a particular name is mentioned or something mm-hmm. or uh or you could have supplementary like uh you know here's a, a list of magic items if you're running this adventure and, and make it really specific into those kind of thing or like uh cobalt press did um uh, uh, uh they sold their they sell an adventure um, that is like, hey, here's an extra little adventure you could do for your uh, Tyranny of Dragons campaign, which is the the, the story arc that they did, right? Um, so here's a little a little encounter or, or a mini adventure that didn't quite make it into the book, but here it is, you know. So you can add this into your into the story as well. 
So there's, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that they can do with with stuff like that now because of DMs Guild and the way the license works. One other thing that this does is, um, or at least in Storm King's Thunder, I don't know if Out of the Abyss does it. So after it runs through the entire the entire thing, uh, so it also includes a bit for the uh, Cloud Giant's Bargain Adventure. That was kind of the bonus one that came out mm. at one of the PAXs. Um, but then also it talks about, like, right, for my camp first campaign, here's kind of my, like, here's what I would change, and here's what I like, and here's what I would foreshadow and add in before. Um, so he, he talks about, a lot about adding in the, the White Dragon uh, Arvia Terrace, which is kind of a famous one in the Forgotten Realms, as like a dead wizard on its back and stuff. Uh, but it also says, like, right, before the game starts up, I'm going to run all of my players through a quick scenario to tie them into certain aspects of the campaign. So mm-hmm. one that ties them into the the giant king and queen, one that ties them into uh, what would eventually become Force Grey, one that ties them into the Harpers, mm-hmm. uh, different kind of things like that. And um, yes, Jeff, whenever we whenever we did a review of Storm King's Thunder back in October uh, or whatever it was, I, that was one of my one of my complaints was I really miss the background that some of the early mm-hmm. or the back the background and bonds that early you know adventures had, and suddenly and. Now this guy's given me some of those. I'm like, oh man, why didn't I have this before I started running the adventure? Yeah, it sounds like the Storm so, King's Thunder guide is is much more thought out than uh, than the one I have. So that's awesome. Yeah, it gets, and I, I wouldn't pay five dollars for this, but this is worth this is worth a dollar or two, and it's pay what you want. So if you want to be really cheap, you don't have to pay for it. But I don't right. recommend that in general. Yeah, I usually try. I, my standard is if it's pay what you want, I usually try to throw a couple bucks at it. So yeah, very good. All right, so there's that. So, so there's value in these, and it sounds like the value might be greater as it goes along. So um, check that out. And lastly, oh, it's me again, isn't it? The last one is, uh, is me, and, and this one's a weird one too. Um, I actually did an interview with the author a couple months ago, but we, haven't, we never found a good place to put it, to release it. So I think uh, I'm going to talk to Sam, and we're just going to tag a quick in- intro on it and get it out, because the author is Ed Greenwood. Uh, who's always worth talking to. So, so I have a little bit of insight into the, the background behind all things through Bright Flames, which is the name of this product. Uh, I didn't find it super easy to find. Like if you, go, if you go on DMs Guild and search Ed Greenwood, there's so many other Ed Greenwood products that come up that you never find this thing. Uh, so you have to know the title in, or, in order to find it, I found. All things through the Bright Flames um, is the title of it. So it's interesting because the bulk of this book is is literature. It's a story. Um, it's, it's basically um, a little longer than a short story, a novelette, if you will, um, following the, the adventures of Mert the Moneylender at, uh, in a time it's set after um, Ed's last novel. Um, it's you know it's it's obviously not officially canon because it's not published by Watsi. So so um, the the story here is that that Ed wanted to see if he could sell fiction on DMs Guild, even though DMs Guild is not set up in a license that allows you to sell fiction, um, because you know Ed writes books and Ed could tell stories and write stories in the Forgotten Realms all day long, and and he just wants to sort of test it out and see see if people are interested in it. And the way he sort of gets around it is he writes a story that goes on for 46 pages. And then the last 
section of it is an appendix of here's some game stats and stuff from the story that you just read. And it, and it's still another 15 pages of game stats. But it's not 46 pages, right? Um, and so he gives you a bunch of game stats at the end. So that way you can, you can, he can legally justify this is a, a game product. It just happens to have some intro you know, storyline. Right, so it's it's a clever little uh, loophole that he's using in order to to tell some more realms fiction that's you know maybe not officially canon except if you're a big realms fan anything Ed says is pretty much canon anyway. Uh, so so it's interesting. So you get a story of Mert the moneylender. He's uh, left Waterdeep on a mission for Laryl. He's in Ormpur. He's dealing with um, he's dealing with uh, you know, th- these gangs and and the, their machinations. But he's also encountering. Um, the wife of the the ruler, um, who also happens to be a powerful spellcaster and is really the secret power. Like, there's a secret power behind the, the throne, and then there's her, who she's like, I have such a light hand that these people are working for me and they don't even realize it. Right? So she's the, the ultimate sort of manipulator, but uh, she makes touches base with Mert, basically, of, hey, this thing that you're trying to do... Just so you know, if you need any help, let me know because your goals kind of aligned to mine. Otherwise, I'll stay out of your way, sort of a thing. Uh, and then at the end, you get stats. So you get the stats for for her, uh, Alacy. I'm gonna say is, is how you pronounce her name, and then Mert. You get Mert stats as well. Uh, but then, in in traditional Ed fashion, uh, all of these NPCs or PCs, I suppose. These characters are, are loaded down with, with old-school-style magic items, um, which maybe made more sense in, like, second edition, maybe third edition. Uh, doesn't really fit as well for me in, in fifth, but you know, it's fine for, for what it is. But then he details uh, and, and you know stats out all of the, the magic items as well, and you get a new spell, um, the snatch teleport, which you can kind of use as a teleport trap, you can set up, set up a certain spot. Uh, when somebody walks onto it, you can snatch them away and teleport them to another spot that you've already prearranged, um, and you know snatch people and kidnap them quickly and whatever, um, and as well as some poisons and and what have you. Um, so uh, it was an interesting. It's an interesting story. Uh, you know, it's it's always interesting. Ed's always a great writer, and Ed always talks about. Um, how he likes to add all kinds of crazy detail, and if his editors didn't get in the way, all of his books would be like three times longer than they are, actually are. And so now we have a situation where, where Ed doesn't have an editor who's slicing out all of his, his writing, right? So it's probably a, a novella-length story that could have been a short story, um, but you get all those details and things, and so if you're, in, if you've, if you're interested in that kind of, of stuff... Um, in writing and in the realms, then then this is a, a great way to get some of that. Um, the magic items are all eh, they feel a little overpowered to me, but they're all you know like like uh, others of you mentioned, right? They're they're all rare or wondrous items. They're all um, you know super powerful and have multiple effects uh, and and do interesting things. Um, probably not anything that I would insert into my campaigns. Um, in fact, I don't know that I would put any of them into my games because they're all crazy powerful. Um, and, but if I did, like, I would maybe pick one because that would be – and make it a feature, 
right? This is this is a major touchstone. If I'm going to put the 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 Lord's amulet into a game, um, it, I'm going to make sure that it, it it's meaningful to the story that I'm telling uh, and it has a has a center point in it. Whereas Mert is carrying like five such items, just because he can. So anyway, it's also interesting in that it's not actually a PDF. I know we said that we're doing PDF reviews. Uh, you can't actually get a PDF of this product. It's only a dollar, so it's it's inexpensive for some fiction. I mean, to get 62 pages of Ed Greenwood writing for a dollar is, is a pretty good deal. Um, but but it, you can't get it as a PDF. It actually downloads as an ebook, And so I had to open it up in a different program in order to read it. So... So anyway, so yeah, and we're going to try to find uh, a way to get uh, to talk to Sam and get that uh, that interview out as well, so people can find out more about it. So, um, so I'm a little bit ignorant on on this. So the new Watson book that just came out, Tales of the Yawning Portal. I know there's a whole meta with Mert the Moneylender mm-hmm. and the and that in. Um, is any of the stuff that is in this book? Could you take it and kind of apply it to some of the meta of like what happens with? in the yawning portal. So do I mean, you think there's any sort of crossover that could be there? I, I'm certain that there's not intentional crossover because Ed did not get like permission from Watsi to, to do this. This, this is Ed's way of saying, Hey, I wonder if I can use my own publishing imprint, uh, and, and write realms fiction without having to wait for Watsi to give me the okay. Um, so I, in terms of, of what happens here being referenced in the yawning portal or whatever, uh, I suspect not. Um, now, if you're if you're using that meta story as actual story, then I mean, hey, you've got you've now you can get this book and you've got Mert's stats. So if you need Mert's stats, you've got them. Um, if he's going to be a character in your Yawning Portal campaign or whatever, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure if it was one that's like, hey, here's the entire cast of the Yon- all the regulars at the Yawning Portal. And yeah. So stats for everybody. No, it's, it it's just it's just two. Two characters, Mert and and this uh, this wizard woman, um, uh, are the only characters that are statted out here. Um, and then their magic items and some spells okay. and poisons and things. So if you're looking for poisons, the poisons are actually some of the more interesting things because um, the the there's a, a fairly extensive list of poisons listed in um, in the DMG. But I can see how those would, you know, only a few of them apply in any given situation or whatever. I can see how those could could be worn out pretty quickly, but um, in, in typical Ed Greenwood fashion, he has poisons with like three times the, the description as what's in the, what you'd expect from the DMG. Like there's a good solid two, three, four paragraph descriptions of each of these poisons and, and where, where in the world they come from and what their, their cultural heritage is and, and what they, you know, in, in terms, and also like, you know, their stats and whatever. So um, I, I enjoyed the poison sections probably as much as anything. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I had any other questions for this. Uh, Tracy, anything from you? No, I think I'm good. All right. Then we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, as well as our guest for this episode, Jonathan. Jonathan, where can people find you online? Uh, so you can either find me on Twitter at, at John underscore M underscore Green. Or uh, you can find me on Drive Through RPG with a. Uh, um, I probably should be releasing within the next couple weeks, although I've said that before. <laughs> um, called uh, Edge of the Frontier, and that's a uh, that's a Western RPG using the uh, Star Wars Fantasy Flight rule system. Oh, that's the Frontier. Uh, is that a, is that a 
purposeful callback? Uh, yeah, so the original system is called Edge of the Empire. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, we're, we're getting rid of the Empire stuff. This is, mm-hmm. we're going to do some weird Old West stuff. Cool. Um, so I was going to release it like six months ago. Then I'm like, hang on, this is all wrong. It's all <laughs> wrong. Oh, God, i got to redo everything. So now I'm like, I, I'm finally to the point where I'm happy with this. This is, I can so, publish this. So soon. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Cool. Nice. And we'd like to also thank all of you for supporting the show by shopping with our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild, or supporting us on Patreon like Doug Palmer, Mark, and our new patron, Steve Robert. Thanks for the support. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. That comes straight to me, and then I forward it off to whoever else needs to see it. Uh, that's thetomeshow at gmail.com. Or you can call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that's episode 278, where we dove headfirst into the Matrix to examine digital products in this episode of... I'm on the wall.